um, here we are again in that place where anything might happen just that, that openness to what's here mm. may look like this it may look like that and we can be taken by surprise can't we by what emerges into conscious awareness and it's here and we let it wave through and something else arises and to have the capacity the willingness to actually let let life be here let what we feel be here what what the vipaka is like to be here with this awakening mind this unshakable conviction, confidence that nothing is going wrong that all belongs how could it not so we we keep confidence with this building, developing the capacity to meet experience so we can touch it so directly we know it and Chitendra and I have been seeing some of you and one of the folk I saw yesterday was reminding me of something I often talk of and it's certainly one of my primary practices and it's this thing and many of you have heard me talk about it before but that sense of sitting down resting back onto the Bodhi tree (laughs) and knowing I'm in the place of awakening that just really feeling ourselves in this <coughs> place yeah, and we were talking about it and what the, our images of that can be like but having been there on a full moon in May and the, the Waisaka Puja sitting with my back against the Bodhi tree I know it's not an easy place. Mm-hmm. The Buddha in the hot season is hot. <laughs> and what is there in that heat? There are flies, there are mosquitoes. You sit there and the only way you can tell the difference between the sweat pouring off you and the ants crawling is that one is going up and the other is going down. <laughs> <laughs> and there you are. And our sense is that it is blissful, that it's easy. Here are we sitting at the Axis Mondi where every Buddha has awakened. But we're crawling in ants. 
and our hearts doing its old tricks. But we are there and bringing whatever capacity we have to be fully there with this this body-mind. And it, you know, I, I find it helpful just to really locate myself, you know, with that sense of you know, a, a disciple of the Buddha sitting, you know, sitting in this precious, precious place. And we can evoke it wherever we are because it isn't bound by time or space. As Jatendra was saying last night, what's 2,000 years for a Buddha? So we, we come right in to the Buddha's seat and we sit down. Or we stand up or we lie down. But whatever posture the body is in, the mind is upright. Willing, willing to be here. And we have to be with our craziness, don't we? And with the habits of our mind and with the ways we get it all mixed up. You know, and, uh, you know, you know thinking of that time being Buddha Guy, one of the roughest, most violent parts <coughs> of India. I'm sure it was the same in the Buddhist time. We were on Vaisaka Puja back, I don't know, what is it, 30 years ago or something, before it became the place to go. They had this huge Vaisaka Puja thing happening. And I went along, I thought, oh, here am I. But it was a political rally. And I'd been corralled into this place. And I looked around and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in the wrong place. I started to get, you know, that creepy feeling. And I looked around and there was no one else like me there. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, we've got to get out of here. But they wouldn't let me exit. So I remember that sense of recognising the danger and crawling out under some um, wire way down on my stomach out under and this man came along with a gun and he said you, you know in Hindi essentially you're not allowed you're not allowed out and I thought well shoot me then and <laughs> <laughs> just got out you know I thought well it's unlikely he's going to but you never know, do you? And just that sense of here we are in the Buddhist place and it doesn't even feel... It has none of the things I expected. You know? And at that time, you know, a few days later, it got really violent there. You know, there were political rallies going on, kind of chaos, political violence and chaos that can erupt you know, in India. No wonder I didn't feel very comfortable. I was the only one like me there, and 
It wasn't a safe place to be. And the, the, you know, under the Bodhi tree, just a bit further along, I'd ask permission to be there because they usually lock the place up, the whole temple grounds up, and the Gaia, what I used to. And, and there I was, yeah. The only one there, for some reason, apart from the four men. And I, I talked about it in Seattle because I had this insight just a year or two ago about it. And the, you know, there were these four men with, with four men with these kind of eight foot long sticks. And there's me and there's them. And, and whatever I did, when I got up to circumambulate the side, they would follow behind me with their sticks clop, clop, clop on the ground, just dragging them behind them. And, <coughs> and the whole system was kind of with fear. Now here am I in the Buddha's Axis Mundi and I'm frightened. And you just start to, well, what is it like at this place? The insight I had a few years ago, the whole thing came to me and I realised, oh, they've been put there, it's likely they've been put there to guard me. Because they went everywhere I went. And the week before, a woman had been raped and killed there. You know, in this precious place. So the, the very old um, Sri Lankan monk who had given me permission to be there had probably said to these four you know, temple guards, you know, keep an eye on her. But, you know, how different it would have been if I hadn't been looking through my fear. What it might have felt like in this Axis Mundi to be sitting there feeling loved, protected, cared about. Rather than the sense of being frightened, alone, covered in flies and ants. And you realise that we, we can so limit ourselves by our misapprehensions. It looks one way, but maybe it's radically different. So as I sit myself down with the vipaka, to have this sense of really opening up. We don't know. We don't know who we are. We don't even know about the things we think happened. Chitindari <coughs> <coughs> was using last night that metaphor of the elephant. We only know the bit we're in contact with. So what what do we do with that bit? The, our, our perception, our feeling, the way our mind configures and shapes reality. What happens when we know it's partial? And that's not to dismiss it or abandon it in any way, but 
It gives us the willingness to really hold it, be here, be with what it feels like to be with this karma. You know, that my karma, that I, I see these fellows following me around and I don't trust them. Some of you may have known immediately what was going on. You guys were very different and we had different experiences and they, they shape how we respond and if we can, rather than configuring and deciding, we just keep this openness. Hmm, it feels like this. But who knows? We don't then start inquiring internally, we come into the body. We're sitting in the place of awakening, we're feeling into our felt experience of being here. We come out of the thinking, out of the ideas, into the simplicity of body, feeling, mind, mind objects, these foundations of mindfulness. There's no dismissing in that, but it's about relaxing the clinging. You know, most of our clinging is through ideas. Mm. <clears throat> Having decided what things are mm. and how painful that can be. And so relaxing out of that. Mm. Here we are, you know, in this, this axis mundi where each of us sits and we've, we've been here now for days. Mm-hmm. And many of the, the more turbulent um, hindrances have you know, naturally start to settle. We get this wave of things passing through <coughs> as that settles. As you all know, things that you know, the body remembers and haven't been attended to can wave through. And we are present with that, but we have more capacity around it. We've been cultivating. The mind is more settled. The Hindrances are not, are not under their sway in the same way. We can feel ourselves present in the room. What what is happening? And the as the hindrances abate, and this can be within period of meditation meditation retreat or for any span of time. One of the things I pick up to contemplate, almost like a way of checking in with what's happening, is these five indriya. So these are the faculties of mind. So 
I thought it might be helpful just to talk a little about them because it's, it's these five factors that really ripen and release in Nibbana. It's when they come together that the mind lets go. So to be conscious of them, to be, it's when they're together in balance. So we just, you know, I will have swept through my body, settled my physicality, and I'll just sweep my mind over these faculties. In a way, just recollecting them. It doesn't need to be a I'm sitting there for the whole time recollecting them, but just, just in a way checking in what qualities are present in the mind, what's here, and the, you know, you'll be familiar, but it's lovely to consider the faculty of sadha, faith, faculty of energy, or sometimes transatic persistence, the faculty of mindfulness, sati, and the faculty of samadhi, collectedness, the unification of mind and body, and panya, wisdom, understanding, this recognition of the Four Noble Truths. And so, when we're sitting here just to check check them out. So I brought across a couple of small readings about them just in case the thread of things did take us to them. You never know when you're talking whether you'll end up where you'll end up or start out, but yeah here. So, this is a little quote from the Sangyuta, and thank you to the person writing up where things are coming from on the board. I can give you the details of this, for those that are interested. So, there are five faculties. Which which five? The faculty of conviction. This is Tinnisaro's translation. The faculty of persistence, the faculty of mindfulness, the faculty of concentration, and the faculty of discernment. Now, where is the faculty of conviction to be seen? In the four factors of stream entry. So, just so that makes sense, the four faculties of stream entry is confidence in the Buddha. You know, the, as we chant in the morning, the recollection of these qualities. You know, there, there is this ability of the mind to know the way it is. Mm. So there's reference often to the historical Buddha, but there's also this confidence in the, in the knowing. Is this 
confidence in the Dharma, in the teaching, the Four Noble Truths, in this experience of the way it is, confidence in the Sangha, so the community of practitioners, and you could consider it as that it is possible for me in this embodied experience to wake up. It is it's something that this that a human being can do. So sometimes the Sangha is talked about as monastics. So I always take that as sense of community of people practicing. Um, and sometimes it's taken as those who have had insight. We can hold it in many ways, but it, it really, essentially it's about this sense of human beings doing the practice. Seeing, tending, sitting at the Axis Mondi under the Bodhi tree. So we have confidence in this. And we have, we live ethically. So these are the factors of, of conviction of streaming to. And there is the faculty of persistence. So the four right efforts right, to, to let go of what is unwholesome, to not let unwholesome things arise, to support the arising of wholesome things and to maintain the being. So this is a classic effort you know, of, the, of the Eightfold Path and of the Indra. So we're, we're, it's not about getting rid of things, but it's about a sense of cultivation. As we do in meditation, letting the mind settle, regarding it, looking after it. So the faculty of mindfulness, so the four um, frames of reference, we might say the foundations of mindfulness, with which you're all familiar. The uh, faculty of concentration, so it's the faculty where the mind unifies, it comes out of fragmentation, and there's the faculty of discernment, and that's the Four Noble Truths. But, the sutta I wanted to read you, particularly, is from the Samhita. So this is the Buddha talking with Sariputta. And he says, the Buddha says to Sariputta, Tell me, Sariputta, a disciple of the Noble Ones, who is thoroughly inspired by the Tathagata, who has gone solely to the Tathagata for refuge, would they have any doubt or uncertainty concerning the Tathagata or the Tathagata's teachings? Sariputta answers, No, Venerable Sir, with a disciple of the Noble Ones who has conviction, it may be expected that they will keep 
Their persistence aroused for abandoning unskillful mental qualities and taking on skillful mental qualities. They will be steadfast, solid in their effort, not shirking their duties with regard to skillful mental qualities. Whatever persistence they have, it is their faculty of persistence. With a disciple of the noble one who has conviction, who is resolute and persistent, may be expected that they will be mindful, highly meticulous, remembering and <coughs> able to call to mind even things that were done and said long ago. Whatever mindfulness they have, it is their faculty of mindfulness. With the disciple of the noble ones who has conviction, who is resolute and persistent, and whose mindfulness is established or tuned, it may be expected that they will attain concentration and singleness of mind. And whatever concentration they have, it is their faculty of concentration. With the disciple of the noble ones who has conviction, who is resolute and persistent, whose mindfulness is established, whose mind is rightly concentrated, it may be expected that they will discern from an unconceivable beginning comes transmigration. A beginning point is not evident. Though beings hindered by ignorance and fettered by craving are transmigrating and wandering on. The total fading and cessation of ignorance of this mass of darkness is this peaceful, exquisite state, the resolution of all fabrications of Sankara, the relinquishing of all acquisitions, the ending of craving, dispassion, cessation, nibbana. Whatever discernment they have, it is their faculty of discernment. And so this convinced disciple of the noble ones, thus striving again and again, recollecting again and again, collecting their mind again and again, discerning again and again, becomes thoroughly convinced. Those phenomena that once I had only heard about, I here and now dwell, touching them with my body, and through discernment I see them clear through whatever conviction they have, it is their faculty of conviction. So, I don't know about you, but uh, this, this last paragraph, the sense of striving again and again, recollecting again and again, collecting our minds again and again, discerning again and again, we become thoroughly convinced. Those phenomena that once we had only heard about, we here and now dwell touching them with the body, and through discernment we see clear through. Good. Good.
This encouragement that we just keep here, now, coming into what is happening. And the, there are aspects of that maybe we'll pick up on later, but one aspect that really I think is vital says with the body. So it's not an idea. It's about coming into this experience where sitting under the Bodhi tree, we feel the body. We, we, are, we are waking up from an embodied place. And that is why in the teachings on, on collecting the mind, concentrating the mind, if you like, but you know, coming into this unification of body and mind, we, you know, these factors of, of samadhi that start to arise, we really bring them fully into the body. Body is the awakening place. It is here and now. So it's about this integration. We we have heard on an intellectual level we can know the stuff very well. Many people can know this in very sophisticated ways from an intellectual way and what the Sariputta is saying we take this this learning this kind of study learning this understanding and we just through persistently coming back feeling it coming into this embodied experience we know it so thoroughly we see Clearly, there is no doubt. Mm. Yeah, so to come out of the ideas of what it might be like to sit there. Her backs leaning against this glorious tree, sheltered Buddha. And we know what it feels like for ourselves. All of it. And with this, with the compassionate willingness of a Buddha. We all know the story of his night. What happened for the Buddha on that night, Vusaka Puja, thousands of years ago. There he's sitting at this Mundi where 
Every Buddha has awakened. And who shows up? He isn't protected by four guards dragging big sticks (laughs) around. Mara comes with all the hordes. And Buddha meets that fully. And you're familiar with I have it here, but the earth-touching mudra of the Buddha on the night of his awakening. So what the Buddha does, Mara's horde attack, and the Buddha touches the earth. And Buddha is calling the great earth as witness. And witnesses to the Buddha's commitment to the awakening. Jitendra was talking of last night the tremendous love we have for this possibility. And the touches the earth. Earth is witness to all that the Buddha has done to bring him there. All the cultivation, the endless times when it would have been more fun to be doing something else. But he was bringing his mind back, generating wholesome qualities. Been willing to be with Dukkha and awaken to it. So as we sit there, we have our own right to touch the earth and have confidence that when the hordes of Mara descend, we live ethically, we live generously. We do, we are here in this waking up place because it matters to us. And I don't know about you, but I know when some really wild stuff comes, to know that gives us the capacity to meet it. We can trust ourselves. We might get a bit knocked over for a while. Feel like drowning under the waves. But we know that actually we will come up. We will upright ourselves. That we're. It's inevitable. So, yeah, so this. Again and again, Sariputta understands. He was slow to wake up. Well, it took him two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) He's always described as having been slow. (laughs) His good friend, Magdalena, they'd been brothers in arms for a lifetime, in fact. And they both, you know, they both kind of 
helped each other get to the Buddha and Moggallana virtually instantly got it. <coughs> I mean, Sariputta had had an uh, insight into the impermanence very quickly, but the kind of final release of the mind didn't happen. Moggallana was just like, like that. But poor old Sariputta had to struggle on for a whole fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> And what, you know, it's interesting too that long time because what the Buddha said later was that Sariputta, we have different minds. And Moggallana had this different, a very different mind, a very different. But Sariputta had this very sophisticated, discrimin- discriminating mind. As you'll know from reading his any of his teachings, so he had this tremendous ability to analyze. And what the Buddha said, well, that before Sariputta's mind let go, he did this tremendous analysis of everything. Really looked at things from a thousand different ways, understood how things came together. You know, this, you know, Jatindriya kindly, you know, brought out the dependent origination. So Sariputta had looked at this in the most exquisite detail. Back and forth. Some of us will do that. Others of us will... will process will be very different. Different come on. Yeah, so Sariputta is saying that sense of again and again coming back with this confidence, recollecting the qualities we chant in the morning. Here and now, not too late in time. These qualities of Dhamma. So, yeah. So, you know, here we are, Wednesday, the really lovely place in a retreat. Things kind of fall in a way and get opportunity to really be more deeply with what is here and use the time well. If you need to be in the hall, be in the hall. If it's helpful to be sitting under the trees, sit under the trees, experiment. Just really take the time, take your authority, and whatever supports you to feel yourself resting back. And I use that phrase deliberately because. Since consciousness brings us forward into subject object, and the meditation practice, we're actually you know, softening, easing it, releasing it, so we're just compelled by it, and then we. The only way I can describe it is that sense of actually resting the mind back from that duality. 
Lumpur once said to me, we were, we used to have, you know, I lived in a different place and we'd have random conversations occasionally, often on crowded, you know, days when the communities from all over had gathered and, you know, it was, I remember it was a midnight and most people were down there getting cups of tea and he was on his kind of pink cushion and I was just sitting by him and we were, chattering about something, well, not to chatter, but, <coughs> you know, talking about something, but casual. And he just said to me, Tania, just rest your mind back. And he just laid back on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so he embodied this movement. So it was, you know, it was revolutionary. And that quality of really letting go, not disembodied, abandoning the duality. Yeah, so finding these places where we feel deepest ease, deepest well-being. We know we belong. And the earth witnesses us. And we can relax into the way it is. With the capacity to feel these truths. So it might be fun to try doing nothing all day. Having been priming and practicing these last days and then just sitting, relaxed, rested back on Buddha's seat. We experiment. See what works for you. Mm.